Welcome. You're listening to the Peace and Passion Podcast, the place for conscious couples and individuals who want to explore aspects of their relationships as a self-growth evolution. I'm your host, Iman Iskander, and I'm a couples therapist and counseling coach on a mission to shore up your relational life with useful information and tips, as well as inspiration and ideas from the great minds of our guests. So you can skillfully and confidently and mindfully navigate the relationship with yourself and with others and with all of life and its challenges. On with the show. Welcome back to the Peace and Passion podcast. I am so excited to you to bring you a guest today, someone that I really respect, someone that I have been following, and I'm just in awe of the work this woman is doing. Today, I've got a special guest called Barb Chambliss, and she's a professional mediator. She's been doing that for 40 years, and she's also been doing couples therapy for over 35 years. Now, she's not an Aussie, folks. She's from Colorado in the USA, and I want you to listen to her because she's got a gorgeous accent. (laughs) Hello, Barb, and welcome. How are you today? Hello. I don't quite know uh, how to speak any other way. So welcome to my accent and to me. Thank you very much. Well, we could always get into a discussion about who has the accent here, but hey. I'm just uh, thankful that this is an, a, a group in Australia. I ha- it's the one country I have not visited, and, although I've interviewed women from Australia. And um, just hang out because I'm coming. I'll be uh-huh. there. Lovely. Well, we would love to have you here, especially with all the wonderful work that you're doing. But look, before we launch into the work that you're doing, I'd like you just to tell my audience just a little bit about you and who you are, and then you can tell them a little bit about the work that you've done. And we'll introduce your book, which is called Women Peacemakers, What We Have to Learn from Them. And I'm excited to learn about that. But first, let's talk about you. So who are you? Tell us something about you. So I was raised in the United States, um, kind of a middle-class white uh, girl. Um, And I went to college right at the time when a lot of the males that I was going to college with started getting drafted and going to Vietnam. And um, so they would go to boot camp and then they would come back and boy, could they talk to me about how how war was made. Mm -hmm. They were excited about it. They had no idea what they were getting in for. And I just kept thinking like, well, they can tell me how war is made. Can I say how peace is made? I'm kind of interested in that, kind of. Then I just went on and I saw what they were like when they came home. And it was devastating. And then I started following a sort of an occupational track. I studied to be a mediator because that kind of answered the question of what, how do you make peace? I also um, worked on a military was a trauma therapist and a a couples therapist and it amazed me how much interchange and and examples across the board happen about war making and peacemaking in couples Mm. versus on a national level and then I ended up getting a PhD and um, it's a school that let me pick my topic so I picked peacemaking and um And you have to fill a gap in the literature when you do a PhD. And I looked and there was plenty of information about male peacemakers. So I thought, well, I'll do female peacemakers. And then all the Nobel Peace Prize women were busy or gone or hiding or something. So I I really studied individual 
unknown women doing making peace. Mm-hmm. And I would say they're ordinary women that did extraordinary acts of peacemaking. Wow, that's so beautiful. It sounds like you and I share a passion for bringing peace into the world. I think, uh, well, you know, the title of the podcast is Peace and Passion. And I guess I'm I'm loving the fact that it had such early origins for you when you were growing up and, and you were discovering about war. You discovered about what peace is not, about war and how people were impacted. Yeah. Um, so, Bob, you've gone off and done this amazing thing and written a book a whole book and you've interviewed people from really diverse groups as I was looking through what you've done you've got Israeli soldiers you've got a nun interviewed you've got an Olympian skier and even a a Zimbabwean orphan like they're pretty diverse you've traveled around to find these people and you've captured what it is that they um, they have in, in common or you've captured their ideas about peace can you tell us a little bit about the book and how you came to this journey of kind of finding these people to interview? Oh, I can. I think Providence was probably had a bigger hand in this than I knew. I thought I was in control, but I could never have created this book without um, without the universe helping me, I would say. Mm-hmm. So um, I... It looked like my committee. They said, you've got to give a definition of peace and and then you've got to find people to interview. Yeah. And so I worked on the definition of peace, which I'll share with you in a minute. Yeah. But um, then they said, now, not only can they be recommended by somebody, the people you're going to interview, recommended by someone on the outside, but they have to recommend themselves for it. And that was quite a challenge for me to do. But I was so out in left field, there really was no precedent for this. So I went like, the very first thing I did was I was going to a music concert by five Irish brothers, and they're great musicians. So I just went behind stage and I said to them, hi, I'm doing a dissertation on women peacemakers. Do you know any women peacemakers in Ireland? And they said, oh, no, we just do the music, but we've got a sister who's a disc jockey in Dublin here's her telephone number. Right. And that is literally how I got 60 different interviews around the world. Wow. And the next morning I would call up, I called up their sister and she said, Oh, sure. I know what you're talking about. I've got two people. And then I would call those two people Mm. and they would say, and this is interesting. They would say, Oh my gosh, I would love to have you come interview me Mm. uh, about my work, but I wouldn't call myself a peacemaker. Mm-hmm. So when I interviewed them, my son said to me, mom, ask them their definition of peace. And mm-hmm. they, where their consciousness would change in the middle of the interview. Mm-hmm. And nobody called me, asked me to uncall them a peacemaker. Mm-hmm. Ever. So. Mm-hmm. How lovely is that? So they're very ordinary people that you happen to come by, by chance, I guess. Yes. And, and they're the people that you've included in your book. Let's start with the definition of peace. What, what does that mean to you? What is peace? What are we well, achieving? I did have to start with that because um, I had to ask, put out a definition enough to have people tell me if they knew anybody that was a mm. peacemaker. Mm. And so I actually did, I did a, a hand movement. And I'm going to speak about it and show it to you because totally. it was so effective and so universal that it got me 60 interviews. Mm. So I would say to people, if you put your hands out as if somebody was going to pour cold water in them, Mm -hmm. this is my definition of peace. And the reason it is, is because the hands are equal. 
-hmm. And it's like equal respect, equal opportunity, equal, um, equal treatment. Now, if I raise one hand and lower the other hand, I call that not peace because Mm -hmm. there's a dominant and subordinate element to it. Mm -hmm. And so I would simply say to people, do you know a woman who is, and I start moving the subordinate hand up to the dominant one and make the water catcher again. Mm -hmm. And I'd say, do you know anybody that's doing this? And I got hundreds Mm -hmm. of nominations for it. Mm -hmm. And, and um, I can, I can say this now or later, but halfway through interviewing all these women, I got it. Somebody sent, put something in my mailbox about raising money for a camp for Bosnian refugee kids. Mm-hmm. And the a camp was, the woman was from Los Angeles. So I called her up and I said, I don't have much money. I can't donate much, but I could come to your camp in Los Angeles and I could cook maybe and just do what I can. I've got a trauma treatment and a um, background. And she said, oh, that's perfect. She said, this is all about volunteerism. But by the way, this camp is not in Los Angeles, it's in Croatia. So I actually ended up spending in the middle of all these interviews, three weeks with 80 kids that had barely made it through this war, teenagers and little tykes that had seen their parents, their mothers raped, their fathers killed, and had really experienced war. And at the end of it, they said, would you please come home with us? So you can see what happened to our country because we don't think anybody in the world knew anything was happening because if they did, why did this war go on for four years? Mm. So I came home from that and I basically said, I can't pretend this is an academic uh, exercise anymore. I have to do something about this. Mm. I have to, it's been taken years for me to call myself this, but I have to be a peacemaker And while I'm at it, why don't I wake up as many peacemakers as I possibly can? Mm -hmm. It shifted from entertaining stories to a call to action. Yeah. Yeah. And so you've eventually, you you found that you needed to embody it. You needed to be the peacemaker in order to talk about peacemaking. And that's something that is worth going into that. I wonder how do you or how did you discover more, more, how do you become a peacemaker? So the people that are listening here to this podcast are people that are looking at their relationship with themselves, their relationship with an intimate other person, and then the, the relationship with all of life. And I talk about the stresses of life and how you relate to life. And so yes. how can somebody who's listening to this become a peacemaker? What do they need to do? Um, in the book, there are, there's 15 stories. Chapter 16 is the, their women's answers to the question I asked every one of them, which is what advice would you give someone that wanted to become a peacemaker? Mm-hmm. And there's also 24 things that I observed across the board that they do. And they're just bulleted items. Okay. And they're things like be awake when the opportunity comes along. Like don't go off the deep end and do something you think somebody needs. You need to ask them if they want it. So I would say that, uh, again, back to the hands, the way this kind of peacemaking happens is if you've got a disparity between dominance and subordinates, mm-hmm. one way to make them equal is to, is to crush the dominant one. But we know that doesn't work. We're looking at that today with Ukraine and Russia. I mean, it's just a matter of crushing. Mm. And also these women don't do this. They don't pull up 
the less opportunity person and they don't push them up. They do this. They, and I don't know, people can't, may not be able to see this, but that my fingers are now intertwined. Mm-hmm. They're, they're rising together until this actually happens. Mm-hmm. So it's a matter of respectfully uh, uh, setting a stage for another party to enable themselves, to empower themselves. Mm-hmm. And respect is the main ticket for doing this. And mm-hmm. as you say, Iman, it can happen at the personal level. Like there's a piece of you that's putting another part of you down or your mm-hmm. self-worth is, is getting crushed. Then there's another part of you needs to ha- respectfully help your self-esteem rise. Mm-hmm. Or if you're in a relationship, a couple's relationship, um, then you, you need to work. One of the 24 bulleted items is don't work. Don't do something for people do it with them. And so uh, let me see if some of these other things are never, never give up your goal and never get attached to how you get there. Mm-hmm. And these women's stories exemplify that all the way through. So Bob, can so, I just pick up on the bit that you started off with, which is be aware or no, be awake for the opportunities, what you started with. Mm-hmm. Now, people listening might be thinking, well, opportunities aren't coming my way like who am I I'm just a little pleb and I'm trying to make my relationship work I'm looking at the international front and there's chaos there's opportunities in the sense that there's there's certainly a lot of uh, aggression and violence in the world but who am I how do I be awake to what I can do what would you say to those people I would say keep on the lookout for anything in your environment, whether it's within yourself, whether it's in your school, whether it's in your family, your marriage, your community, that just strikes you as not feeling fair. Mm-hmm. It doesn't feel just. It doesn't feel fair. It doesn't feel respectful. Mm-hmm. And that's the, that's the bell ringing mm-hmm. to ex- examine it a little further. Is there somebody on your block? that is elderly and needs uh, needs their garden watered. Mm-hmm. But you don't go do it for them. You go say, would would you like some help doing your, your garden? Mm-hmm. Beautiful. And that's the respectful part. That's the empowerment, isn't it? You empower other people. And that very much speaks to the hand gestures that you were doing earlier, which is uh, it's about equality. The hands are together as you hold water, and that's the definition of peace, so being joining yeah. together in, in the one place. Some people might, um, I, I'm going to be devil's advocate with you just to see how far we can go with this. So in a couple relationship, clearly one of the problems that emerges all the time is this sense of unfairness, like it's not fair to me. I can't have my needs met. And the other person's saying the same thing. What about my needs? And nobody wants to take that, that, that ground where they enable their partner to get uh, more of what they want. Or, or if they do, they kind of, you know, they don't do it from a good place, I guess. There's a bit of bitterness and competitiveness sometimes. Certainly sometimes mm-hmm. I'm not saying everyone's like that. But for that particular person who's going, how do I apply this in my relationship when what I, I, I you know, you, you were saying crush the dominant one. Can you speak to that in a relationship? Like how do we elevate when our own needs aren't being met and there's a sense of injustice that I'm being hard done by? Well, I think it all begins with some really um, mindful listening. 
to what the other person needs and what you need. So the the therapist or whoever's working with the couple can set the stage for not trying to jump to solutions until you've mindfully laid out what your needs are. Mm-hmm. And they're act and and making that happen in the therapy room where it's safer. You can actually help someone listen to the other person's needs, mm-hmm. which doesn't often happen at home. When people don't get their needs met, their listening kind of shuts down. Yeah, but yeah. if you can, um, if you can, without judgment, have each person list some things that they need, and there's some tricks to it. I will say, mm. and then say now that we've got both needs out on the table. Mm -hmm. Now let's start brainstorming Mm. and we're not going to jump to a solution. We're just going to brainstorm. And of course the brainstorms will result from their list of needs. Mm. But then what I do, and I actually do it on a piece of paper. I wish I could show it to you. If let's say they brainstorm six ideas. Mm -hmm. I have voting columns for both Mm -hmm. members of the couple. Mm -hmm. And so if one, one says, well, uh, one of yeah, you need to go to work mm-hmm. and bring in more income. Mm-hmm. So there's two voting columns, and she you know, let's say that was said to a wife. The woman would go like, um, "No, I don't want to go to work. That gets a zero from me, or maybe a two out of ten. And the guy whose idea it was will say, "Nope, that's a ten. Well, mm-hmm. you don't use that one at all. Mm-hmm. You keep going down the list of brainstorms until maybe you run out." initially and they and then you go like well this process works but i'm telling you Mm. i've got we've got to come up with much more creative ideas Mm. Mm. and Mm. i have to start listening to her need and his needs Mm. Mm. and then the ideas get creative and then you're getting closer votes to 10 tens if that makes any i think what i really like about that is that the both needs are seen to be equally important so there are needs and they're equally valid and they can be positioned side by side and attended to and listened to and held um, at the same time so it's not one need dominates there's two people with needs and the mindful listening is the piece where we can really hear what the requests of the other person are Mm-hmm. And then um, as, as you work through that process of um, ranking, ranking them and working with them, yeah. that's um, an acknowledgement that they're both, both equal, both need to be worked on. So let me, let me turn this conversation to something out of the book here. There's lots of examples. Can you give us just one example, um, use one of the lessons learned maybe, and how we could use that in today's, today's um modern relationships or world or yes and and stop me if if you don't want me to do this but i want just going back to the previous conversation for one second i want to tell you about working with a fifth grade child yeah and we'd gotten the needs out and then we started brainstorming and it was two kids that were fighting over having to share a locker with each other mm-hmm. and so we got down and i said well does do either of you have an idea about how you might solve this problem. And the one, the little girl said, well, he should get another locker. And I said, okay. And I started writing it down quite neutrally. And I looked over and the little boy was sobbing. I said, what's, what's so upsetting? He said, well, I, I don't think I, that, that idea is going to be the one we have to take. And I said, no, it isn't. We're going to have lots of ideas here. And look over here, you get a vote. And he said, I do. And I went like, this is how this family operates. Yeah. 
there's probably a dominant person in the family that calls mm-hmm. the shots mm-hmm. that does it hasn't role modeled the art of listening Beautiful. or the art of brainstorming so uh, that i'll take it back now Let, so ask me the the question was about some of the stories in the book yeah yeah but that's worth highlighting what you've just said it's about kind of an acknowledgement that there isn't a donum a dominant person in the relationship and exactly. acknowledgement of needs and that they um, all deserve to be equally held. I think that's kind and, of really important. And that everybody's brainstorming is yeah. valid, valid and everybody gets a vote. Yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So it's Probably. yeah. Okay. So okay. the question I asked was just an example of one of the lessons that came up in the book that could be applied to um, to us today in the modern world and in modern relationships what's one of the lessons I mean you've already given us a lot actually but I'm just wondering okay. is there a standout for you from all of the women that you've interviewed was there something that they said about peacemaking that could be related to the modern scenarios that we face in this turbulent world in turbulent relationships in high stress where there's competing demands competing needs for attention um, what is it that 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 stood out for you as something that was um, an aha moment, I guess. An aha moment, actually, in the first chapter, it's about a, a woman who was in her 20s from Zimbabwe mm-hmm. who had um, a pretty rough beginning. Her mother died of AIDS, although she didn't understand that. And that left her an orphan because she had never known who her father was. Mm-hmm. And she was, because her mother died, she became the head of household. So she was was her job to get food for her her three-year-old brother and her blind grandmother Mm, so she had to drop out of of elementary school to do that she'd Mm. bring food back and they lived in the backyard of her uncle's house Mm. and one of the rules at that time and maybe still in Zimbabwe is a girl orphan with no parents is fair game for Mm. any male So the cousins would come over and they'd take the food that she brought in, or the uncles would come over and and do their sexual pleasures with her. And it was just the way life was as far as her name is Cheeto. And she got an opportunity to um, go to a one week training in how to grow mushrooms. Mm -hmm. And it was phenomenal for her. She not only learned how to feed her family, she learned how to make money off of mushrooms and she started paying for school tuition for the kids. And then, but the biggest thing she learned is you, she didn't have to put up with her uncles for a week. Yeah. Yeah. And, and so you, and the lesson she got from that was you can choose your family. Wow. So she decided to set up a center for uh, Zimbabwean orphans that she could then pass these lessons on to them, Mm. but she never, and this is the piece she never preached her lessons. She simply told them her story. And mm-hmm. she'd tell them her story as they were walking across. She was holding the hands of these younger girls. Mm-hmm. And they would say almost to the girl, my gosh, your story was way worse than mine. If you can, if you can have a whole center like this now for other people, maybe, maybe we can too. Mm-hmm. And so that the, the little uh, bulleted item would be work with and not for yeah okay yeah and I would say that's very true in a couple if we want to switch quickly to that it's Mm -hmm. like a couple can even end up divorcing Mm. but if they do it with a process that's respectful 
then it's um, it allows each person to be whole as they move on, either in a differentiated marriage or in a um, a, a well-adjusted divorce. Mm. I would say. Mm-hmm. But I like the piece about you can choose your family. I think there's something there also about you can build the environment that nurtures you. You can surround yourself by people who are like-minded or people that you can serve in this instance or people that make you feel like you have special connections and that you're doing something valuable, whether it's at a family or a school or a workplace. You can always make that choice to surround yourself by the people that kind of nourish you in that way. Is yeah. that kind of true for, for what you found? Is there, yeah. You, yeah. I mean, and, and it just is universal. It's whether you're a teacher and a student, it's whether you're, you know, a bully to yourself mm. and a, a dominated part of yourself. Mm. It is. And let me even take it a little further because um, it's a quote from one of the women in the book. She's an Israeli um, psychiatrist who started an organization that would go out to the hinterlands after there'd been um, a a fight or a war, you know, they call Mm -hmm. them several wars there Mm -hmm. and they would bring free um, healthcare. She Mm -hmm. and several other doctors would bring free healthcare, but they also were on the lookout for human rights violations. Sure. And she, uh, she would bring them to court. And she didn't care if they were Israelis that had committed it or Palestinians. She mm-hmm. would call them and say, retribution has got to happen here. Mm-hmm. And uh, you have to be able to accept it. For instance, if the Israelis were the, were the perpetrators of something, she said the, the Palestinians felt like they shouldn't accept some sort of thing. She said, no, you should. Mm-hmm. But she has said something. I asked each woman, what's your definition of peace? And she said, when peace is made, it's a synonym for respect. Mm. the main point is she said is that when people respect each other they are willing to and this is the powerful part share power yeah Yeah. and that's true whether you're a husband and wife you're uh you know your siblings your uh, national presidents or anything Mm. yeah and that if you take that to the next step this actually is the kind of peacemaking that makes war irrelevant yeah absolutely yeah and a marriage a marriage healthy maybe yeah of course so two beautiful points here about respect and that's a requirement a prerequisite for any healthy relationship and then the other one being about sharing power so it's not a dominance it's a more of an egalitarian state there's also another theme that keeps on coming out um, in the work that you produce and that's something around forgiveness Can you talk a bit about what's the connection between peace and forgiveness? So I asked every woman that I interviewed the same set of questions. And one question was, what role do you think, if any, forgiveness plays in peacemaking? Uh And um, it's hard to capture all of the answers, but generally they would say, if I don't forgive, I can't move forward. If I'm if I'm holding a grudge against someone else, it holds me back. So they would often say that about forgiveness. But but many times, some of these women had all been involved in genocide. There was East Timor. There was um, Guatemala, which had a huge genocide. It was the Bosnian people. 
And so they would almost always say, you really can't have forgiveness until you have justice. Mm. Yeah. Yeah. And then there were some, some, there was one woman I interviewed, which kind of was at the far end of the scale. She said, oh my God, don't talk about forgiveness because then somebody has to be identified as the perpetrator and somebody has to be identified as the victim. And that just brings you all back to a mess. And I went like, no, that's the, that's the one you need it most for. Mm. Yeah. Mm -hmm. So how can people navigating difficult relationships apply this concept, forgiveness, justice? How can they apply these ideas into their everyday life? What is it that you'd like to make known to them? I would say it could be wrapped up with one concept, which is respect. Yeah. And the way to check yourself about respect is the golden rule is to say, am I, you know, it's like, am I helping this person empower themselves the way I would want to be empowered? Mm-hmm. Yeah. And so it's like do unto others as you would have them do unto you. And it's the quickest check. And if you go like, Ooh, I wouldn't want anybody telling me to do this, or I wouldn't want somebody pushing me fast too fast. So it's a respect check is yeah. what I would say. Yeah, I love that. That's a, a lovely golden rule. It's a respect check. Am I helping them empower themselves? Am I treating them the way I want to be treated? Can I apply it to me? It's you a lovely it. piece of kind That's of exactly turning. Exactly it. Yeah. yeah, turning on the inside eyes, looking at your own actions and reviewing them within that frame is something that everyone could incorporate in their interactions. I'm going to move you on to something that is uh, ways to recalibrate your daily interactions with others. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I think you have already mentioned the respect and, and something about nonviolence. Is there anything there? You said there's five ways to recalibrate. Is there anything further that needs to come out here that we haven't talked about? Well, What I often do when I give talks about this, and I'm happy to do it here if you want, is simply ask people to close their eyes and then I read the 24 things Mm -hmm. that uh, are the, it's like the success list for a peacemaker of this kind of peace. It's it's not for being an activist. Mm -hmm. It is not necessarily for being a marcher, Mm -hmm. you know, a protester. It is not for somebody sitting at the table trying to make, peace out of a war that's that's ruined people this is this kind of peacemaking and um those 20 and it takes five minutes so you may not want to do that in your in your time thing but i could pick a few of them if you well want. i'm happy for you to pick a few things that would be relevant um and you could read them out and we could assess our, ourselves if that's uh, something that have you got it okay andy um so we've already talked about be awake when it comes along we've talked about ask if it's wanted and we've talked about never lose sight of your goal and never get attached to how you get there yeah um the fourth one well let me let me just read a couple others here every day and this is what makes it a conscious act of peacemaking every day revisit the wisdom of and your willingness to continue this work Hmm. these women almost quit all the time Hmm. but they just didn't quite do it so Uh, Another one is operate from unconditional caring, not from sentimentality. Yeah. Sentimentality actually has a dominant subordinate piece to it. Mm. Mm. Um, If you think about it, let's see, pace yourself, make a little peace, make a little dinner and know that this work might not be completed in your lifetime. 
um, work simultaneously at the systems and the individual level. Mm. Yeah. Okay. These are all picked up in the stories. I mean, you can read all these. Yeah. Things. So there's 24 items that you've actually listed in your book that are really, um, I guess, uh, ways or methods to recalibrate your, your life. Yeah. So you can become uh, a person who is a peacemaker. Somebody called it, if you want to make bread, you read a recipe. If you want to make peace, this is the recipe for peace. Okay, lovely. And and in order almost too. And one of them is no violence of any sort, including to yourself. Beautiful. Yeah. So the relationship with yourself happens to be at the forefront there. Yes. And Mm. and when I've, I've been working with some high school kids, Mm. And I asked them to do acts of peacemaking and they said, well, where do we find them? And I said, well, look in your family, look in your neighborhood, Mm. look at mother earth, Mm. look at even just look inside yourself. Mm. And, you know, Iman, it it was quite interesting to me. Every one of the kids for their first act of peacemaking chose themselves. Wow. Yeah. Which told me a lot about COVID anxiety Mm. and things like that. Yeah. And I said, you know, my first response was wanted to go like, come on, you need to do something for community. But I kept my mouth shut. And then I said to them, you know, you're right. If you're preoccupied with an inner imbalance, Mm. you really can't do the best job of reaching out and helping empower someone else. Yeah. Yeah. They taught me. They yeah absolutely that's so beautiful and it's a philosophy that comes up when we're talking about love when we're talking about trust you actually have to give it to yourself first before you can give it to others and that's the same with peace if you're internally turbulent then that's where the work needs to start to create it for yourself I love it that it even came out with the kids yeah really I mean they taught me a lot about that and actually what we did I don't know if this relates to your work either but so I had my, I, I do tapping yeah, like this. EFT, yeah. uh, my tapping teacher came and worked with them. Mm. And so that, that constituted an act of peacemaking. Mm. That's a very giving. And with your, with your permission, let me just say one more thing, because I'm, it's not just any old peacemaking, it's conscious peacemaking that I'm really looking for. Mm-hmm. And a really quick example of that is, well, there are two, but one is like, let's say you're a really popular kid in school mm-hmm. and you've got a whole table full that you sit with at lunchtime. Mm-hmm. But one day you're late coming out of the cafeteria. You had to stay with a teacher for something. And then you look and the table's full and you look around, and you go like, oh, I'll eat over there. Mm-hmm. And it's kind of an empty table and you eat and you're mm, talking with the kid there about the Olympics or something like that. Mm-hmm. But you want to get out to the playground, so you pick up your tray, and the kid says, thank you for sitting with me. Nobody's done that all year. And you go like, right. That's why I, there was a place to sit. Mm. And I have sort of seen this one kid sitting here. Mm. Then he goes and takes his tray in. That's a, a, a spontaneous act of peacemaking. Yeah. The conscious act of peacemaking starts the next day when the kid walks out of the cafeteria and decides where he's going to sit. Mm -hmm. that makes sense yeah that's about the choices we make deliberately with intention with consciousness with awareness it's a really a mindful presence with how you make your choices how you live your life 
very much part of what I'm talking about as well. It's beautiful. And I think in couples, they do a lot of spontaneous peacemaking with each other, but they don't notice it. So they don't embody it. Mm. And what you want them to do is to say, no, it's time for me not, I, I have to do more than just give these little goodies out. I have to do it in the rougher times. Mm. I have to wake up in the morning and say, what do I need to do to stay in integrity with this peacemaking of this relationship today and I love that question that you wake up every morning and you're asking what is it that I need to do to stay with that peaceful intention every day and it's similar to the challenge you put out in your book in the very last chapter you've actually put out a challenge to people to um, to do an act of peacemaking and to send it to you so let's put that out to our audience here if they can be challenged in that way to do something that resembles peacemaking and maybe send, do you want them to send it to you? Is that how I would, they can email it to me with a subject line that says new peacemaking story. Oh, okay. All right. I don't know where. So in the back of the book is a website, but I don't know if we need to tell them what my, my email is. No. So what we'll do now, Barbie, is where I'm going to give all of the uh, the contact details in the episode notes so oh, people can okay. find a, a link to you. If they want to contact you, they can find a link to you through your website. We'll also put a link to the book, um, the Amazon link to the book if people want to buy it. Do you want to hold the book up and perhaps we can see the cover? I know the people on the podcast can't see it, but perhaps there we go. There's the cover of all the faces of all the people that were interviewed. You'll also find that on the website, which is actually, do you want to just tell me what the website is right now? Yes. And you'll, you'll have to remember how we were when we were together. It's Barb Chambliss author, but Barb has a silent E on it. Okay. A-R-B-E. C-H-A-M-B-L-I-S-S author.com. Beautiful. Nice and easy to remember. Well, on that note, I will say my big thank you to you for being here today. And I know it's late where you are and it's not late where I am. So you have been a <laughs> sacrifice right there. So much gratitude to you for, for doing that. Um, and I know that my audience would have got at least one golden nugget from this, plenty more, but all I ask for is one nugget in, in my That's session. all I could ask for either. That's that's fine. And it's yeah. so good to see you again, Iman. Lovely. Good to see you. Yeah. And we'll talk again. Take care. Yes. See you now. Alrighty. Bye. Thanks for listening to the Peace and Passion Podcast. If you'd like to stay in contact, make sure you subscribe to the show in your podcast app so you don't miss an episode. Now, if you like something here or if something resonated with you, I'd love your encouragement to keep this going. You can do that with a review, a like or a share, or just by telling someone that you think will benefit from hearing this podcast. Take good care now.